My name is Dr. Elias Ortega, and I have the pleasure of serving as president of Midwell Lombard Theological School. Today, I'm being joined by Reverend Dr. Michael Tino, and he's a member of the lead minister team of the Church of the Larger Fellowship, and also serve as minister of the UU congregation in Mount Kisco, New York. And he joins me today to have a conversation around how congregational ministry is changing both in digital settings, but also in the context of congregational life. At his uniquely positioned, given the roles that he plays ministerially in the Church of the Larger Fellowship and in the U congregation to speak to how we are adapting both to being in spaces in which we ministry digitally, but also in, in spaces in which we need to maintain congregational connections. So welcome, Reverend Michael. Thank you so much. It is a pleasure to be here with you. And I think to get our conversation started, I really would like to ask you of how are you are experiencing virtual congregations provided spaces for connection, right, during our times? Sure. And, you know, the Church of the Larger Fellowship has been a congregation without walls or geographical location for um, 70-ish years, uh, since since around World War II. And um, we have been, as the Church of the Larger Fellowship, connecting people who were geographically dispersed all that time. And it used to be that we would do that by mail, physical mail. It was church by mail. People would get packages and write to each other um, and write back to the Church of the Larger Fellowship. And, and the whole thing was conducted over U.S. mail. Um, and today it's all online. And the bricks and mortar congregations, as, as we like to call them, have been forced to uh, inhabit that space um, because we can't be with each other physically in this time of, of coronavirus and COVID. And uh, the Church of the Larger Fellowship, uh, though, we, we have members all over the world. And so we have to create space for people to make real relationships with people that are, that are virtual. Um, it happens on Facebook. It happens on Zoom. It happens through, uh, through covenant groups. Uh, we do run small group ministry programs where people come together just like in any congregation. They're just coming together these days on Zoom because you can see one another. But it used to be conference calls. Um, they'd come together on a conference call. And um, it really has underscored the fact that you don't need to be in the same physical location to have real deep relationships with other people. Now, being mm -hmm. in the same physical location adds another dimension to that, but it's not a necessary component of actually having real deep relationships with one another. One of the things that has been most striking to me since I've joined the team at CLF is uh, the ways in which people form community simply in the chat on Zoom in worship. Yes. Um, because we don't actually have everyone show their faces in CLF uh, worship. They're interacting with, with each other simply in a chat uh, and really witnessing what's going on in one another's lives and being present to one another and following up with mm. one another in other online spaces. I mean, 
So someone says something has happened in their life and people say, we're holding you in love. And then I see in a, in a Facebook group, for example, people following up with that person to say, you, you mentioned in worship that something is going on with you. We want to make sure you're okay and cared for and that this community is there for you right now. Um, and it's just, it's from a chat box on the side of Zoom. How fascinating. So one of the things that as I hear you speaking that got, really jumps out to me is when you were talking about the origins of, of CLF, uh, the ways in which the ministry took place at that time was through a written correspondence, yes. right? And that back and forth in letter. And he said, but what I hear you describing now is uh, kind of a, a reorientation of that to happen almost in real time. Yes. Right? Folks are corresponding with one another in a chat box and that that will move into a different day or space, but folks are still finding that way to be in human connection, right? And care for one another. And absolutely. And one of the things I think has been most critical that I've seen both in the in the physically located congregation I serve and in CLF is that you have to be open to different ways of doing things. There's not one technology, there's not one way of doing things that's going to meet everyone's needs. Yes. So for example, CLF has has experimented this summer with uh, audio only zoom covenant group like people turn their cameras off it's part of the covenant that they might see each other at the beginning but then they turn their cameras off because we as a society any one of us who's in school or working has spent so much time staring at a computer screen so true that we have become fatigued from it so true um so you know some things might take place on the phone uh with our incarcerated members and 1200 of the CLF's members are incarcerated in prisons around the United States and, and Canada mostly, um, our relationship still is snail mail. It's still written like physical correspondence because that's the only way you can really correspond with people who are incarcerated. Um, and it's real relationships that people have. People are pen pals with the folks in prison. Um, we run classes, we do pastoral care uh, by letter. How wonderful. Uh, with our incarcerated members. So I wonder if you can can expound for us a little bit more. One of the, the concerns, and it's a real concern that we hear often, is that um, because the time is forcing us into being connection to technology, mm -hmm. that there is going to be an an increased distancing right, from, from, from one another, right? And how do we create bounds of community? How are we present for each other? But what, you, what I hear you saying is that they are kind of new ways in which we are experimenting, right? How to be in real and deep and meaningful connection with one another. Yes, absolutely. And again, I think actually being present in the same space adds something um, that is not possible, but it's not necessary for real relationship, for like meaningful relationship, for being present in one another's lives. People are form, have formed friendships that have lasted decades through CLF and they've never actually met one another in person. Um, real friend, like they're like there for one another. They call one another when on birthdays and things. Um, it's, it's real. People know what's going on in each other's lives. And I think you just, you have to let it happen. Mm. You know, I'll say for myself, um, I spend some time on Facebook 
<laughs> and uh, people like to poo-poo Facebook, like, oh, that's mm -hmm. fake. That's fake community um, because it's not in real time. Uh, but some of the, the most supportive relationships I have are in Facebook groups that have come together for a particular purpose. Um, that have a common understanding of why we are there and um, and why we support one another. Um, there is, for example, a, a, a UU Pastor Parents Facebook group. It's ministers who are parents, and we are supporting one another through parenting and being ministers at the same time. And it's a particular thing. And if, if we were forced to to do that in person, it wouldn't work the same way, right? Because all the right. parents of seven-year-olds in in the UU ministry are not in the same place, right? Um, and it's real; it's it's true support that people offer one another in that, um, and I've experienced it. Mm -hmm. uh, so I wonder if you can, if you can share with us how is your your thinking around um, a theology or pastoral care evolving in, in, in these particular times, as you know, most of pastoral care oftentimes happen in face-to-face -face context, mm -hmm. right, in private setting, and oftentimes, you know, via a phone call. But I, what I wonder in this particular times that is so intensively mediated through technology, uh, how is your understanding of, of, of pastoral care really changing and growing during these times? For, for me, pastoral care is about presence with someone else for first and foremost and it's about the quality of the presence and the listening and the witnessing that you offer someone else um and so there's not a reason i mean there are reasons there why being in person matters sometimes. Um, there were times when I was doing chaplaincy work that holding someone's hand was yes. the profound presence that they needed uh, in in that time. And you can't yes. do that. You can't physically touch someone online, but you can be there and you can you can truly bear witness to what they are going through by talking, by seeing one another on Zoom, by having a phone call, or even mm -hmm. by interacting in comments on Zoom uh, or on uh, Facebook, rather, you can you can be there, and and someone can know that you understand what they are going through and witness it, um, and that's really important. Uh, and to me, it's the center of pastoral care. It's not the all of pastoral care. Um, but we can do that for one another. Um, one of the things that I think um, is important to think about is how the technology that we're using makes pastoral care more accessible um, in this time. It was more, please. Uh, well, you know, I'll just use the example of a member of the congregation I serve in Mount Kisco, who um, is, I believe, 92 and uh, has had significant mobility challenges uh, in the last couple of years. Um, she's broken some bones and she can't get around as much. And so we haven't seen her 
in the congregation uh, for a while. Uh, she's just not been able to be present at worship. Well, she's there every Sunday on Zoom now. Um, and we can be present with her oh, without having to go visit her. And there are still there are people who do go visit her and they do the social distancing and like mm -hmm. they sit 10 feet away from her on the, on the porch outside and whatever, and it's great. Uh, but uh, Zoom makes having ongoing relationships with more of the congregation possible for her because the computer can feed into her hearing aids so she can hear oh, what's going yes. on better. She doesn't have to leave her apartment. She doesn't have to walk around. She doesn't have to get in a car uh, and try and drive uh, to the congregation or worry if there's going to be ice in the parking lot. Um, and so she's able hmm. to, to let go of all of those things that were stopping her from being in relationship and just focus on being there with people. And so we do small groups on Zoom and she can do small groups on Zoom and it's great. Like to have three people in a conversation on Zoom works really well. Mm -hmm. for her. And I think that mm -hmm. um, I know one of the questions that you were hoping to ask, and so I'm going to get there, is uh, potential changes to how we do, to how we do church. Yes. Um, she will never be able to physically be in our congregation every Sunday again. Uh, so but true. we will always make sure that she is able to be present um, because mm -hmm. we now have the technology infrastructure to make that happen. Uh, and she's not the only person that that's the case for. Um, you know, people who have retired and moved to Florida and have not found the same connection a good with a congregation there, for yes, example, yes. can still be part of their, the com community that they were part of for 20 years or 30 years or who knows what, um, because some part of that community happens online. Uh, parents, yes, so, so uh, we had actually begun to move committee meetings on onto Zoom before the, the pandemic happened um, because it makes it possible for parents to go to be part of lay leadership and not have to worry about childcare. Um, <laughs> like yes, I can put my yes. kid to bed and then go to a committee meeting. So in other words, in your congregation, you're seeing the ways in which uh, using technology can be a tool to remove some of these barriers Absolutely. of access for those who participate. Absolutely. Um, and so I think that those changes will be permanent in some way and for the better that um, when we when we look at and, you know, it's it's vexing that like we didn't see those barriers to access so clearly when most of us could all just be in the same room with one another, right. they were still there. Those barriers to access right. were still there. And it's like, and, and anyone who works in the disability community, especially could tell you that those, <laughs> those barriers were there. Um, and now it's like, Oh, like these are the people we were missing. Like we can't, miss them again <laughs> we can't right. do that um so it's it's been it's been great um i don't know what your experience is but i know that uh 
we often lose people for a time when kid the kid they have kids and the kids are like toddlers yes <laughs> and, and we those hope, who have chased toddlers around the house we hope that we're gonna get them back but like you know you can drop a baby off in the nursery but like the toddler is going to come screaming into the worship room. And so people choose not to come. Well, parents of toddlers can have their toddlers screaming through the living room on zoom and just be on mute. Um, and the toddler can be in worship and like running around and playing and whatever. And as long as they're on mute, <laughs> like they're not, nobody knows better. It's true. Uh, and it's been super, it's been really, really super. You know, I think that is a challenge right of access that we have. How do we really rethink what our congregations look like in our congregational practice, right? So that having a toddler running through the sanctuary might not be that disruption, right? But it's a sign I, of- I am, all, I am all about that. And uh, even if, I say as the minister, oh, that's fantastic. The kids are here and it's a joyful noise. As a parent, I was always like super self-conscious about it. Even if the whole community is like, oh, yay, your daughter, wonderful. As a parent, I was always super self-conscious about it. And so I think um, it's going to be a long road to change the culture where it's to where parents are not the most self-conscious about that, even if the whole congregation thinks it's fantastic and says so again and again and again. No, I agree. I still remember that the, the Sunday morning when my youngest threw an airplane in the middle of the sermon. Airplane <laughs> <laughs> flying through the sermon. It was a wonderful moment uh, for us. It, and, it brought some similarity, but you're right. And I'm uh, guessing, knowing like where you are from, that the minister loved it too. Oh, the community did. So <laughs> the community did. No, and and I think you are uh, correct. And in our particular context, we were already we had a number of families with children, and we were already having the conversations around that commitment of of how to be that kind of community, right? That was that was open uh, to to embrace our, our our whole families, right, and our whole selves. And I would say, not only make a difference for for me as a parent, but also for my children as well. Right for them, mm-hmm. the standard of what a congregation uh, is and how we live into it is is different right? because so, they they feel loved by the adults in the congregation and are respected and included and valued. Absolutely, and so I look forward to be able to say to parents, "We want you here. Bring your children, no matter what. And if like your three year old is having a really bad day, come on Zoom." Right? Like open up Zoom and be there with us. Right? Like you're <laughs> the fact that like the three year old uh uh woke up on the wrong side of the bed and every three year old does that from time to time. Um and thirty and forty years old and fifty years old. <laughs> right, right. Like you didn't get a good night's sleep tonight, come on Zoom. Like just don't worry. Like don't worry about taking that shower. Don't worry, like don't change out of your pajamas. Just, just come and be here when you can be. And be present. And that'll be good. But be present when you can't be physically here. Oh. Thank you for that. And I think you're welcome. As a last question, I really w- would like to to ask you, what brings you the most joy in your ministry? 
What brings me the most joy in my ministry? Boy, that's, I, I got these questions in advance and I really don't have a super easy answer. So much brings me joy in ministry. I, um, so I felt called to parish ministry all through my formation process because I wanted to be present in relationship with people that lasted. Um, and so meeting new people and understanding that I hopefully will be part of their lives for a while um, brings me joy. Um, being part of changing families and um, people's retirements and uh, just being part of people's lives uh, in, in relationship for a long time for I mean, even for any length of time uh, brings me immense joy. And so the, 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 the thought that um, I'm now starting this ministry at CLF, that's this collaborative co-ministry team model means I actually also get to have a relationship with colleagues uh, that will mm-hmm. last. Uh, and I'm really excited about that too. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for uh, making the space uh, today, right? As we uh, ministry and lead in these times so of, of COVID. Thank you so much for having me here. Thank you. So once again, uh, we have a conversation today with Reverend Dr. Michael Tino, and he's a member of the lead ministry team of the Church of the Larger Fellowship, as well as minister of the UU Congregation in Mount Kisco, New York. And your host today is Dr. Elias Ortega, president of Midbro Lombard Theological School. I hope you enjoy this episode.